And really what it boils down to is I'm afraid that I won't be able to impress you. And how sad is that, that I'm more concerned about you being impressed with me than you being impressed with God. But that's the way our fears work. Our fears often give us false information. So this morning, as we look at our fears and how our fears take from us, I hope that rather than being impressed with anything that's said, that we're impressed with God and who he is and where he leads us. Hi, this is Deacon Mary, and I'm so glad you've tuned into the Grace Church podcast. I think that because you tuned in, you will better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we are living out our ancient faith in modern times, and we believe that these next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at Grace, visit us at graceocala.org. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So we did a little experiment in the first service. We'll see how it goes here in the second. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. So for those of you who don't know what that was about, because that's not part of the worship service, it's not in here, it's not what we normally do, let me explain in the African-American church tradition, that is a common call to worship and actually has evolved into a common greeting as well. And so we'll try it again so you can all participate. I will say, God is good. The response is all the time. And then I will say all the time, and the response will be, God is good. So, God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Now, it's interesting to me that it's in the African-American tradition that we find this, this call to worship this truth. I think that of the people of the world, perhaps the people of Africa and the people of Israel have suffered the most. And the words that they call us to is to remember God's goodness. And not just God's goodness in the good times, not just God's goodness when things are going well, when things are as I would have them to be. No, the the refrain is that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. It really does fly in the face of fear. And that's what we've been talking about these last few weeks, right? We've been talking about fear, and so we're going to continue that series today. We're going to be talking today about fear and specifically how fear takes, and it takes, and it takes. You know, fears are an interesting topic to look at. We all have fears, right? We all have different kinds of fears. For some of you, 
coming up here and speaking would be a fear. In fact, the comedian uh, Jerry Seinfeld joked that back in the 80s and 90s when they would do the survey of, of what Americans feared most, during that time period, the number one fear was public speaking. Number two was death. And so he joked, so the number one fear is public speaking, number two is death. So at any given funeral, the average American would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. You know, I've been on stage in one form or another, whether acting or speaking or preaching, really since I was in about the sixth grade. So I don't have a fear of public speaking. I don't worry that I'm going to trip over my words or use a lot of uhs and ums. But that doesn't mean that fear is completely gone when I have to speak. In fact, the fear that grabs a hold of me is that, not that I will stumble over my words, but that my words won't make any difference. That what I have to say is just irrelevant. And really what it boils down to is I'm afraid that I won't be able to impress you. And how sad is that, that I'm more concerned about you being impressed with me than you being impressed with God. But that's the way our fears work. Our fears often give us false information. So this morning, as we look at our fears and how our fears take from us, I hope that rather than being impressed with anything that's said, that we're impressed with God and who he is and where he leads us. But God, God, I don't know about you, but God troubles me. God bothers me a lot. His words bother me a lot. I don't want them to bother me a lot. I, I want them to be a balm for my soul. But a lot of times they're just, they're irritating. Like, for instance, how often in Scripture we're told, do not be afraid. And yet, we're afraid. We're afraid a lot. But we're told, do not be afraid. Now, we can hear that instruction and interpret it in one of two ways. And I think they're both accurate. I think they're both correct. But I think one is more helpful than the other. The first interpretation would be to interpret it as a command from our king. Do not be afraid. Okay, I will not be afraid. And that's, that's accurate, but it's not altogether helpful, right? Because when I'm afraid, someone coming along and saying, stop doing that, doesn't take away the fear. But another way of interpreting this command would be as an encouragement from, from a loving father, from a father who sees more and knows more than we see and we know, from a God and a father who wants more good for us than we even want for ourselves. It would be the illustration, for those of you who have children, ha raised children, you, you, you recognize this, right? This picture of, of the father standing in the pool 
and the child, maybe four years old, standing on the edge, and he's saying, jump. It's okay. Don't be afraid. I've got you. Right? You can see that, right? Don't be afraid. I've got you. And the four-year-old is looking at the water and knows that the water is deeper than they are high. And they're rightly afraid. I remember doing this with my daughter when she was learning to swim, and, and she, she's still very small, but even then she was smaller, and the water was higher than her head, and, and she looked, and she didn't want to jump because she was afraid. And I encouraged her because I could see more than she could see. Not just physically I could see more. I could see more because I'd lived life and I knew that there would be a day when she would learn to swim. And I knew that she would have fun jumping in the water, that she would enjoy it. I could see more. I knew more than she saw and she knew. And the truth is I wanted her to have fun. I wanted her to enjoy. And this is what God says to us when he says, don't be afraid. I think it's, it's really less about a command and more about, don't, don't be afraid. I've got you. It's okay. It's going to be okay. So, the question before us is, what will you choose to do with your fear? What will you choose to do with your fear? Now, that may strike you as odd. What do I do with my fear? I, I don't do anything with my fear. My fear does to me. I don't do things to my fear. My fear shows up. It takes control. It tells me what to say and what to do. I humbly obey, and then eventually it leaves. But actually, we really do need to look at our fear like we look at all of our emotions. Our emotions are given by God to inform us, not to control us. Let me say that one more time. Our emotions are given by God to inform us, not to control us. And so our fear is given to us to inform us, but it's not to control us. So I can look over the edge of the platform where I'm 40 feet off the ground, and not here, I mean up on the real platform, and I can be afraid because I don't have wings and I'm not made of rubber, right? I should be fearful of that moment. But I don't need to let the fear control me because what if I'm standing on that platform and I'm about to rappel off of the wall and I'm on a rope and there's someone on belay down below and I'm safe. Now, I may still be afraid, right? I might still take in the data that I'm way off the ground and I still can't fly and I can't bounce very well. And I can be fearful, but I can override that emotion. And I can say I can still step off the wall. Now, I might do so with my knees shaking, right? As I go, I have had this experience, by the way, many times. Almost every single time I rappel, the very first step, I'm always doing this, coming off of the wall. But once I'm down off that ledge and I'm rappelling, my body adjusts. But I have to override the fear, right? So 
What are you going to choose to do with your fear when it shows up? Are you going to choose to listen to it and give it control, or are you going to take control? The other thing that we want to remember is that our fears don't always give us accurate information. Sometimes, and, and really with lots of our feelings, sometimes our feelings give us inaccurate information. We think the data is accurate, but it's not. For instance, there's an experiment. You can, uh, you can try this at home if you happen to have a lot of copper tubing. Take some copper tubing and take two of them, in fact. Fill one with lukewarm water and fill the other with ice cold water and then braid them together. And if you grab a hold of that, one lukewarm pipe and one ice cold pipe, the feelings in your hand, the nerve endings will tell you that it's scalding hot and you'll let go. But it's not. In fact, you could leave your hand there all day if you could manage to override, right? And you won't get burned. But your body will tell you that you'll get burned. Your body will tell you that it's scalding hot. You have to you have to recognize that you're not always given accurate information by your emotions. In the same way that I'm looking over the edge of the platform and saying, oh, this isn't good, I'm not safe, even though I'm strapped into the rope and there's someone on belay down below and they've already showed us the illustration ahead of time that someone else was on the rope and they let go of the rope completely and the person stopped them from falling. They didn't fall an inch. Okay. I know that information, but my body is interpreting the data wrongly, that I'm not safe. How often do we do that with God? I'm not safe. I'm not safe. That's, in fact, exactly what's happening in our story in Exodus, right? Some background information might be helpful, a little, little history lesson. Okay, so the book of Exodus, chapters 1 through 13, is... The people of Israel in slavery, they're crying out, oh, we want an end to this slavery, it's terrible. Not necessarily crying out to God per se, but they're crying out. But God hears their prayer anyway, which is an interesting side note, by the way, that it's not really the quality of our prayer or anything about us that allows God to hear our prayers. God hears our prayers because he is God who hears our prayers. That's his character, right? But they're crying out. They want the slavery to end, so God calls Moses, and he sends Moses, and Moses goes, and the plagues, right? And the power of God is unleashed, and the Israelites are watching this, and none of the plagues affect them. It's only only the people of, of, of Egypt, right, and Pharaoh's family. And they see God move, and then Pharaoh finally relents, and they're let go. Chapter 14, they're heading to the promised land. God says, hold on. I want you to kind of circle around and meander a little bit, you know, look like you don't know where you're going, look like you're stuck, look like you're afraid, so that Pharaoh will try to catch you. He'll come barreling down, and that's what happens. So Pharaoh with his army comes barreling down. They're stuck at the Red Sea. God says, don't worry about it, I got it. He parts the Red Sea. They're able to walk through, wall of water on each side. They walk on dry land, they get across. God crushes the Egyptian army with the same water, right? Chapter 15, they worship. That was really cool, God. Way to go. You're awesome. Right? We have the song, you know, I will sing unto the Lord, for he is triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider are thrown into the sea. Right? You know that song? I'm only one? Okay. There's a song about that that people used to sing, and uh, it's a really morbid song about horses dying, but still, we sing it because of the power of God. Right? That's Exodus chapter 15. 
Now in chapter 16, are they still worshiping God? No. They're complaining. They're worried. They're about a month and a half into their travel. Now, I don't know about you. I've never spent a month and a half traveling through a desert. Anybody else? None of us. Okay, so we don't really know what we're talking about here. The Israelites, however, were walking with not just like a couple guys like like Jonathan does, goes hiking, right? They weren't just hiking. This was the whole family, grandma, grandpa, the kids, all the flocks, all of our possessions, walking through the desert, right? And it's hot, and their food runs out, and their water runs out. And they're not just complaining like, oh, it's a little warm. I like the temperature to be just at 76 degrees, right? No, they're scared. They're afraid that they're going to die of starvation in the desert. What just happened two chapters earlier? Redemption, salvation, rescue. The, the, the most amazing story of the Old Testament, right? The parting of the Red Sea and the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. Two chapters later, they've forgotten. This is what fear does. It takes, and it takes, and it takes. It takes away our courage. It takes away our, our confidence. It takes away our strength. It takes away our faith. It takes away our joy. It takes away our worship of God and our trust in him. That's what fear does. It takes away. Why? Why does fear take from us? Because, because of where fear comes from. Fear comes from the enemy of our soul. And Jesus describes the enemy of our soul in John 10 as the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. So fear takes from us. But here's the good news. Even though fear takes and takes and takes, God gives. God gives. That's, That's the nature of God. That's his character. He gives. He gave his only begotten son. And if he who did not withhold his one and only son, but freely gave him up for us all, how much more will he give us all good things? The Israelites were worried, and rightly so. They're that four-year-old standing at the edge of the pool, looking at the water that's higher than them, and they're saying, this is not a good situation, right? It's understandable that they're afraid. It's understandable. Listen, when you are faced with fears, when you are faced with doubts, when you are faced with uncertainty about the future, it's understandable to be afraid. But we look back at the faithfulness of God to move forward into our fear, into that thing which we fear. Now, it's really important when we do so, when we... When we let God instill confidence in us to give us back our strength and our confidence to move forward, that we don't define God's faithfulness in a narrow scope, right? We need to define God's faithfulness as being with us no matter what. If you are facing some sort of financial hardship, some sort of question mark, if you're, if you're facing some illness or sickness, either for yourself or a loved one, certainly you can ask that God operate in a certain way. But his faithfulness is not limited to doing what you want him to do. 
coming through for, for you in the way that you want. His faithfulness is determined by the fact that he never leaves us nor forsakes us no matter what we face. No matter what the situation is, whether it turns for good or bad, God remains faithful to us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And we trust him. We learn to trust him. You see, the Israelites, when they were, when they were worried in the desert about what they would eat and what they would drink, they were worried about their future. And isn't that what we do when we worry about our money, our possessions, our 401ks, for those of you who have such things, right? We, we worry about the future. We worry about how we are going to provide for ourselves and protect ourselves from calamity. So isn't it interesting that just a few books later, right, God, God begins to give them commands, and one of the things he tells them is this. Listen. When you sacrifice, here's what I want. I want the first fruits of your crop. And I want the very best of your herds and your flock. I don't want the ones that are lame. I don't want the ones that are blemished. I want the very best. Why would God ask for these things? Is it because he, he just, he really likes nice big fruit and he really likes, you know, the, the, the really meaty animals? Well, think about it. If you're a farmer, and your first crop comes in, what are you going to do with that crop? You're going to set it aside as seed because you don't know if another crop's going to come in, do you? And so if you're going to have something to plant for next season, you have that first fruit come in, you're going to set it aside. If you're a, a shepherd or goat herder, right, what are you going to use to sire the next flock, the next herd? Aren't you going to use the very best of your current flock, your current herd? And God says, I want that. Why? Why would God ask for that? Because he says, I don't want you to trust in your ability to provide for your future. I want you to trust in me. I want you to trust that I am a good father who will take care of you. And so he asks that of us. Will we trust him? Will we trust him with our future? Will we trust him to provide and in so doing, when we do this, when we walk through this, you know, it talks about in the passage in Exodus that, and then in the, in the psalm as well that we read, that, that they tested the Lord, but in fact the Lord was also testing them. In Deuteronomy 8.3, Moses writes this, He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Similarly, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.9, This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We go through these sufferings, we go through these trials, we go through these moments of fear, these opportunities to fear, so that we can learn that there's something more important than the thing we want. It's his kingdom. And he wants us to be after his kingdom. So, when we face fear, and we fear, feel fear, excuse me, when we feel fear trying to take away from us, trying to take away our courage, trying to take away our strength, trying to take away our faith, trying to take away our joy and peace and worship, we must turn 
our attention to the kingdom. We must remember who God is, his faithfulness, and we must receive from God what he wants to give. Forgiveness, reconciliation, power, love, meaning, purpose, sanctification, glorification, peace, joy, and much, much more. We want to trust in the Father who says to us, don't worry, I've got you. It's going to be okay. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are very much like the nation of Israel. Uh, We have seen your works, and yet our hearts have strayed. We, like uh, the hymn writer, can say, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But this morning, O God, take our hearts, take and seal them for thy courts above, for your kingdom, for your purposes. And God, when fear comes knocking on our door, trying to steal, let us turn to the giver of all good gifts. Amen. We are so glad you joined us on our podcast today. We hope that you will take what you've heard and share it with your community. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, find us on Facebook, on Instagram, or online at graceocala.org. Go in peace.